Hello and welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast, everybody. I'm Dan Cash and we have a traveling Cosmo Catalano, bike racing analyst extraordinaire. He's traveling from a bike race. He was actually at a bike race in person. Cosmo Catalano, when is the last time you were at a you know, UCI level tier event? Probably tour of I mean, I didn't call it Tour of Colorado, but Tour of Colorado back in 2014. I think 2014 Pro Challenge or whatever it was used to be called. Yeah. Uh, Welcome so, back yeah. to the the covering of the bicycle races world. Nice. Yeah, it was good. I had, you know, I had real creds this time. Um, the ones you have to pay money for. So that was kind of cool. As in video creds. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I um, I spent a lot of time just trying to stay off camera and I still got caught once or twice on the camera. I was very upset. I look like but I would like to point out, um, <sighs> so the the event that you are at, I noticed, I mean, I didn't watch too much of it, but I did notice that the, the cyclists at this event, uh, they were riding on these bikes with wide tires and flat <laughs> Yes, it was, it, was a, it was a mountain bike race. Um, I believe if you wanted to, you could ride on a drop bar bike uh, with narrow tires, but you would not be very successful. You could do the, like the cross country events maybe. Probably the downhill events might be a challenge, right? Yes, downhill events would not work well. Um, the short, the, the short track, I I still don't think you could be competitive on a uh, cyclocross bike, but you could have a cross race there um, with cross bike rules and make everyone ride cross bikes, and it'd be okay. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so th- we're talking about Mont Saint Anne in Quebec, in Canada, which hosted the final round of the UCI Mountain Bike World Cup. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but first. Well, let's let's get through the intros. Okay, we're done because it's just Cosmo and me this week, uh, which you know, due a, a confluence due to a confluence of circumstances, uh, the other various people who often join us couldn't make it this week, and so you, dear listeners, I believe for the first time in the history of pretty serious bike racing, are going to have to just content yourselves with the two of us hosting the show right but the, the old heads who remember Recon yes Ride. fortunately yeah, anybody yeah. who's been around long enough will know that cosmo and i used to do this we would we would talk to each other and people did listen people found it interesting enough that we did it for several years so the hope here is that you know you'll find it interesting this is basically like you know joe to see fans buying the kc and jojo album wow yeah that is that's a deep cut reference i mean is, it, is, is there it that, that much wrong? overlap between like late 90s early 2000s r&b <laughs> I mean, you you got you got it immediately i did i did i you know i have taste i know what good music <laughs> is so yes anyway uh actually who's casey who's jojo uh anyway um <laughs> before we get into any mountain bikes before we get into perry tour or gravel and even before we get into the final monument of the season just really quickly, let me just let me just tell you that if you haven't headed over to escapecollective.com slash join yet, if that's not something that you've done yet in your life, and you're listening to this podcast, I feel like you should go do that. You should head on over to escapecollective.com slash join, sign up, become a supporter of everything that we're doing here, support Wheel Talk and placeholders and Geek Warning, even Geek Warning. Ronan McLaughlin's got a great new podcast, and all of those things are made possible by people like you, our listeners. So we hope you'll head on over. I did listen to Geek Warning on the drive back today. Um, wow! They, didn't, they did. They'll be so happy. 
They didn't even make fun of us. I was a little disappointed. It does seem a little bit one-sided. I, I, I mean, Ronan messaged me a, a few weeks back about like asking about this. Like, what is what's the beef? And I said, there's no beef. We just say on the podcast that, yeah. So we invented it. I believe. I believe that um, when we when Escape first launched, Kaylee was talking about the most popular podcasts, and he said it was between us and Geek Warning, and that we were yes. slightly ahead. And I think you said. Take that, geeks. This did happen. I did say, yes. The The problem, though, is that I now know, months <laughs> after that, that Geek Warning is ahead of us. <sighs> and so I try to keep a low profile. You know, because this, this is a situation which, if this were a sporting event, they would say, scoreboard. You know. You can't just, we can't just, you can't just sweep that under the rug, though. We, we clearly need to, we need to up our game. Or... We do. Uh, one of the things that we could do is just do a you and me podcast. Let's just have a, a conversation, just Cosmo and Dane. <laughs> uh, oh, hey, that's what we're doing. Right. Let's talk about Lombardia because it's the final monument of the season. I love this race. It's a race that ends up every year entertaining us. And this year, I when I wrote the preview, you know, I thought I was being smart. I thought I was, after having done a lot of consideration, you know, I thought, I think Primoz Rogoc is in great form, and I know Tade Pogacar is Tade Pogacar, but I think this is going to be Primoz Rogoc. That was me uh, when I was writing the preview. Um, what that That's not... I was wrong. Uh, can you give us a 15-second rundown of why I was wrong, as in what happened in this race? Well, I, I got to mention... I got to start it with, with, with Ben Healy going from 80K out, because I said that that wasn't that good an idea, and Abby Mickey herself responded to me on Twitter and said, wow. how dare you? Um, but... He, because that's a long way, he got caught around 37 kilometers to go. Uh, Adam so you were right was, in the end. I was well. I mean, it's me, right? Right, of course. Out. Yes. So Adam Yates had been setting pace at the front of the group and reduced it to a pretty small number of people. Uh, and then Jaco Simon Yates's team took over a few k, and Roglic and Pogacar just kind of didn't go with them. They kind of hung back in the group and sort of looked at each other. Uh, eventually Pogacar went, went across, uh, Vlasov went with him and like, was like, Whoa, what's going on here? Vlasov is, is up in his game. Cause you know, Roglic is going to be his, if going to be, uh, on his team. Roglic eventually woke up and brought the back group back up to them. Um, and then just kind of fell asleep as Pogacar rode clear at the, right over the top and onto the descent and got 37 seconds by the bottom of the descent. And then it looked like Pogacar was cramping and then... Maybe Remco in a second grace, uh, chase group, break-checked Mark Hershey. Uh, but in the end, nobody caught Pogacar. He won his third consecutive Lombardia um, in pretty impressive fashion, especially kind of fighting through a cramp up those last hills. Yeah, there was yeah. a very brief moment where it seemed like... We were oh, like, wait, oh no. It's happening. <laughs> but he, he ended up being fine. You know, he, got, he got a little, little food from the team car. and Salt tab. Yeah, I, so watching the race, you know... In person, I have to say, it it's like example number twenty seven uh, of how I think I'm I'm conditioned. I think my my brain says, you know, okay, the gap is X. That means the rider does or doesn't have a chance of winning. And I think I need to recalibrate the math. And I I've no, I mean, I know this already. I've I've thought this thought so many times in the last two or three years. But I didn't I didn't think Pogacar was going to make it when he had the gap that he had coming off the bottom of that climb, I figured, oh, well, there's several riders behind him. 
enough riders to, to catch He still up. had Adam Yates in the group. And Yates, in his post-race interview, was like, yeah, I was I was flicking the group, as usual. It was very much a, like, you know what's fun about being Pogacar's teammate is that you get to mess with everyone else in the break once he's, or everyone else in your group once he's up the road. Yeah, um, fair enough. So, yep. uh, Still, it wasn't really even close in the end. No, not at all. It was not a nail. There was nail-biting, like, what was it? 10k 12k whenever pogachar was like punching his leg yeah that that brief <laughs> bit yeah and i mean he was coated in salt like his his shorts were were rim it was like a you know bowling alley tortilla chip just pick it up and the salt crumbles back down into the bowl the analogy that you're making is gross but also like i want one no. yeah i mean sodium you can't say sodium without yum right so that's a wow i never thought of that uh, <laughs> you you haven't been what is it? Hyponatremic enough. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, by the way, that's something that's in the past. It's been like a thing for him. We've seen yeah. at the Tour de oh, France, yeah. we've seen him covered in salt. It was it was a major, major reveal. Uh, so in the end, it wasn't close. My question for you, I have my own answer. Uh, but my question for you is, could anyone else have done anything? Or was was there no chance ever? To, was was Pogacar always going to win? A thousand percent someone could have gone with him when he went away. Like, you, there's an overhead shot of him, like, they just handed him a gap. Uh, Roglic just doesn't come through. And I think it's Vlasov who's, who's up there too. And he's, like, thinking Roglic is going to come through. And then there's three bike lengths. And then there's enough separation that the group is like, well, you know, I don't really want to chase. And then it was a pretty, it's a pretty twisty descent. So it's really hard to, to kind of leverage numbers. And it's just by the bottom, then he had a big gap. And who wants to try and close that? Plus Yates is there. But no, it really, it, it seemed a little a little sleepwalky from, from Roglic. Because earlier, he, he kind of, it took him a few moments to decide he wanted to respond to Pogacar. It was, it was very strange. I do wonder, I mean, in, in that descent specifically, like even if somebody had gone with him over the top, and there was a moment where the gap was nil. I mean, like it really yeah. could have closed it with not that much effort. Okay, I don't want to say I could have closed. It, I think you could if, have. I think if that is I'm an there statement. and I'm not already on the limit and I haven't ridden 200 and whatever kilometers and you said close that gap to Bogachar, I could probably do it. Yeah, no, I think that's probably accurate. And, and and yet, my question though is, you know, even if there if somebody had been on his wheel, would that have really mattered? I mean, he descended quite speedily. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I it it wasn't quite terrifying it wasn't like a you know vintage salvadelli or or nibley performance it was competent i think he's had some issues there in the past and i i know we all think pagachar is a natural talent who never has to try hard at anything but he may have actually practiced some of the corners because uh, he was getting space on the moto when he really when he when he got moving but it wasn't it wasn't like kind of otherworldly like he's out of frame and the motorcycle has to go 120k on a straightaway to catch back up so i i think it, you know if in theory, right? His tires and your tires are going to be about the same. You just got to do what he does, commit, and believe that everything will work out. So I, I think someone could have gone with him. I don't know if the whole group could have. Because it's really tough when you get the kind of slinky, when everybody has to break for the corner, the last guy in the line has to break the most, and then has to work the hardest to get back up. But I think I think at least one other rider could have gone with him without too much trouble. All right, so my thought, the other thought I have, I, I agree completely. The other option, I think... Yes, they could have closed him down earlier. I do wonder if Yumbo kind of mm, wasted too much earlier in the race. Uh, you would wonder I, I, if there had been a teammate in that group 
to just all-out pull for Ruglitch. He might have still been beaten by Andrea Bagioli in the end, uh, but they also might have caught Pogacar and given uh, Roglic a chance to go clear on that climb like he likes to do with a very late attack. Instead, Yumbo didn't, like, they didn't have numbers in the end, which is not very Yumbo-like. Well, it, except in the long races, like we talked about last week, where they just, they have, I think, I think this may be a case of, like, and they, I think that GCN commentators talked about this too, how, like, 200-kilometer bike race, a lot of guys can perform really well there. 240-kilometer bike race with, you know, what, 15,000, 20,000 feet of climbing. Sorry for mixing my, my M&Ms and my Skittles there in terms of units. But what I'm saying is, like, a really long bike race, there are a very small handful of people who can, can bring it hard at the end. And the, the idea that you would be able to have three or four domestiques there to deliver that performance, I, I think... I think maybe Yumbo needs, needs to kind of rethink its strategy for some of these races. And like you said, do less work early. Um, I think uh, Tilla Walter, I think he could do really well if he didn't do so much work setting things up in situations like this. Yeah, him, he was the one rider even close to in that lead group in the end. And he wasn't that close. But other than Ruglitz, he was the only one really who you could see maybe if he did a little bit, if he'd worked a little bit differently, maybe he's yeah. in that group. But then again, who knows? If Yumbo doesn't control the race, maybe some situation happens. Jayco had two riders there. That's true. Um, and UAE That's true. was was always, you know, if the Remco group comes back, like Hershey's there too. So it's it's always it's always speculative. But I think this is another another data point in our in our Yumbo does not do well at at long length time whatever like longer events monuments basically. Yeah, and also I mean another data point for something that we've already seen this year is that Adam Yates is is a good bike racer, and that is go. helpful to Tadej Pogacar. He was like peppering the the other riders with a, with an attack on on the on the final big big climb right before Pogacar went, and that helped set up Pogacar. And I think that's a a, a place that that one two punch for for that team has has proven this year to be I mean yes they didn't win the Tour de France but they did finish second and third win some stages I mean yeah. like they, they had a heck of a tour with yeah. that one two punch and I have to say I wasn't expecting Yates to be as good as he has been this year he did win a a world tour one day not very long ago in Canada and yeah and, and he was I think pretty pivotal to Pogacar's success at this race and just yeah yet another data point of Yumbo coming in with a team that you know I think you look at this team and you think, that's oh, a really good team. And in the end, they don't deliver. And UAE, yet again, delivers for what, what is Pogacar's second monument of the year and, you know, nth win of the year. Yeah, he's pretty good. It's really cool to see Adam Yates kind of thrive in this. Maybe I'll try to win the race role. It's like, someone else is more likely to win the race. I could still win the race, but I'm also primarily going to help them. I remember him being a very strong rider who would always not quite get it done as sole captain. And he just seems this year, especially, just thriving in that role. So, I think it's a good, you know, another good example of why riders go to teams that already have leaders for the same thing that they do, because you can still get your wins. I mean, you can still win. In his case, he he won Romney this year. He won a stage the Tour de France. He won GP Montreal. Like he won plenty of races this year. Even though you would think Tadej Pogacar is the guy who's going to scoop up all the wins, and he sure scooped up a bunch of wins, but. There was still plenty left for Adam Yates. Yeah, Giovanni Lombardi apparently used to call them his pet wins because you know ninety percent of the time he was leading out Cipollini, and so when he got a chance to be in the break and win a stage, it was his pet. His I love pet that. Win. Yeah. Uh, 
All right, I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to the guy who finished second in this race. Because yes. I, 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 I got to say I wasn't expecting this from Andre. No one was expecting it. Uh, he did finish quite well er, at, at Grand Piemonte in that he won the race, and he was on the podium at the Coppa Bernucchi, but neither of those is Lombardia. Uh, Grand Piemonte is, like, not... It's almost 100 kilometers shorter than a Lombardia. So... Just because you did well in that race doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to think you're going to do much at Lombardia. But there he was. Uh, he stuck with a group that included Roglic, Vlasov, the Yates bros, and the guy that finished uh, fifth at the Tour de France, Carlos Rodriguez. So obviously, Andrea Bagioli can climb much better than I was giving him credit for. He's, yeah, he's the real deal. I think he's shown this sort of like Italian semi-classics classic season that quick step uh did a nice job kind of developing into developing him into a a talented young up-and-coming one-day racer and little trek's gonna love having him on the team next year uh so you kind of feel bad for quick step losing him and i don't feel that bad for quick step well okay maybe not uh and of course he signed the track deal and like it's after that that he's doing a lot of these really impressive things so Trek's got to be happy. I mean, they already liked him enough to sign him. Yeah, but Trek is Trek is going to be kind of a crowded house next year. Um, the, you know that Lidl sponsorship really gave them a lot of resources to try and figure out new ways to to bring people on and race. And you know, there's gonna there's gonna be competition for leadership roles there. And also, maybe it was just kind of quick. Who was it who posted his ride from Vegas for Quick Step or something? Uh, Malrose Schmidt. There was some side drama. Ugh. It just doesn't seem like a very fun place. Yeah, I mean, it's it. Quick Step does not seem like a fun place to be riding bikes right now. Um, you could even Remco seemed a little bit salty. Um, he had an early crash, which is you know bound to put anybody in a bad mood. Uh, but it just this is they've they've gone from Wolfpack like kind of seeming like a bunch of guys who really like racing bikes together to just being to being like I don't know. Am I trying to make? Who was the crazy Raiders guy who just like let the team do whatever? Al Davis. Al Davis. Thank you. It was yeah. It, except without the success and yeah, Oof. late late Al Davis Raiders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The later Al. That's the thing. It's the later later years. Yeah. It it doesn't. I I, I guess it doesn't really surprise me then uh, that they'd be that 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 there would be a a bit of a bad vibe at that team right now considering a bunch of those riders and. Swaniers are all wondering, like, what's the deal with our jobs? You know, that's that's been their lives for the past two months. So that's, yeah, yeah not much of a surprise. Uh, but Andrea Bagioli was a surprise. He has a heck of a sprint on him. The fact that he was able to stick with this very talented lead group of, you know, Grand Tour-type riders all the way to the end of this race to finish second was really, really nice. And Roglic did still finish third. I do think, uh, I think Roglic was maybe, like, a, a tick off of the best Uh and I think that made a big difference in the chase. Uh, he he didn't do enough chasing. He didn't do much chasing. I assume he felt like I'm not good enough to really lead the chase and then beat everybody, which I, I think probably would have been true. And without him to marshal them, the rest of the riders said, yeah, nah, nobody really worked together. And uh, so I don't know that there's that much that Roglic could have done by himself. I, I, I have a hard time faulting anybody for the way this race turned out, except for, you know, 
right at the top of that, going over that climb. Maybe you try to stick with Pogacar. I mean, easier said than done. But Let's close it out with uh, just a, a reflection real quick on Tadej Pogacar's season. Uh, you've been watching the sport for a long time, Cosmo. Mm. Uh, have you, can, can you remember a time, you know, when a rider was able to win Flanders, Amstel, Flesch, and uh, Lombardia? I mean, maybe not even just those for specific races, but a rider of that sort of caliber, because even Valverde wasn't winning Flanders. Nope. He never, well, you know, I think if Valverde had not been kind of enmeshed in Spanish cycling the way that Pinot has been enmeshed in French cycling, if he got on a truly international squad, I think he might have, he might have found a taste for, for Flanders. Um, but no, you're completely correct. I can't, you know, Valverde is the only close comparison, and he didn't have the same success. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty wild to see. And it's, as much as I would want the first two weeks of the Tour de France that we had this year to be the entire Tour de France, it's also cool to see Pogacar crack sometimes. Like, when he got those cramps, we're like, this is not entirely out of character. Like, this yeah. is a guy who gets a little too into it sometimes, or gets to feed, has vulnerabilities, while still being absolutely world beating you know 99 days out of 100 yeah i think that's i mean that in a way it's also i I, i'm reminded of of vanderpool a little bit where he's imperious when he wins and even more so for vanderpool he does sometimes have bad days or just like i don't want to be mean but like he does dumb stuff sometimes you know (laughs) and like that makes it more enjoyable yeah so yeah uh i mean it was way cooler that he crashed (laughs) <laughs> in worlds and got on the bike and still won like that was yes because like it made it all the more I, entertaining i don't know if, what everyone else was thinking but i was like uh you know people are like race is over i'm like guys it's vanderpool right <laughs> yeah anything could happen and it did he still won yeah. uh and yeah pogacar is the same it was like when he started cramping up uh it, it certainly seemed for a moment it was like oh no what's gonna end but yeah he still won uh i, I mean with in terms of winning the specific races that he's won, like Gilbert is the only real comparison in recent years. But the funny, the funny thing is, or the interesting thing is with Gilbert is like he kind of like changed his entire focus as a rider to go from being the guy who could win the Arden type races to being a guy who could win Flanders. And Pogacar just did it in the same year, which is nice. And Gilbert also had a really strong team with a lot of weapons. And I'm not saying that Pogacar doesn't. We just talked about Adam Yates. But it was much more of a, he was not, Gilbert, when he won, I think, Roubaix, he was not the favorite to win that race, yeah. right? Yeah. He got out, he got out, and he was like, well, this is Quick Step's guy up the road for them, and they'll use him later. And it was like, psych. <laughs> um, psych, And winning. I think, yeah, that's an advantage that Pogacar has not really been able to leverage. He's always been the dude, right? right. Everybody is looking at him all the time. Yeah. Um, so to uh, come but, in with that know, target... Yeah, I, I mean so. it helps, but everybody has teammates, right? You're, and I'm it's thinking not it, like it continues to get better. I guess what I'm saying, like there, okay, maybe we haven't even seen like there's a chance that that okay. I don't think we're gonna see Pogacar ever racing under the radar the way that Gilbert did. Maybe in like 30 years. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly, exactly. But he's got these teammates this year who I think we're finally seeing a UAE team that is pretty darn good around him. So maybe we will see more of that in the future. Maybe never. We're never really gonna see Pogacar attack from. 100k out and people ignore him that doesn't mean they're going to be able to catch him but nobody's going to ignore him 
And I mean, Gilbert was never racing to win the Tour de France. It's true. Yeah. That was, yeah. He'd never won it twice already. (laughs) Yeah, there's Lombardia for you. Tadej Pogacar wins the final monument of the season. That's two on the year for him. Uh, Matthew Vanderpool took two, and Remco Evenepoel. I'm so stoked for Roubaix next year. He's doing Roubaix. It's happening. I know it. I'll be entertained for sure. Uh, we didn't say much about Remco, but I guess we should mention poor Remco crashed early in the race. This is not a race that treats him nicely. Uh, cause of course he crashed over a bridge and horribly injured himself a few years back. Yep. So Remco Evenepoel has a complicated relationship with Lombardia, but at least his team did manage to finish second in the race, which in the end, it's probably kind of what most people thought might happen anyway, <laughs> just not with yeah. Andre Bajuli. All right. That's Lombardia. Let's talk a little bit about a world championship event that happened over the weekend. We got to watch one of them. We <sighs> yeah, didn't get to yeah. watch the other one. That's a very strange decision. It was extremely strange. And if you want more on that, Abby Mickey wrote a great piece over at EscapeCollective.com, which. Yeah, I mean, there's really no good. There's no good excuse. There's no reason to not televise the women's race. There was no information essentially until the very end when we uh, were told, "Oh, hey, Kasia Nuidoma wins." Yeah, there were some. Yeah, even the Twitter updates were right. Bad. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Um, <sighs> so that I think is one of the main stories of the whole weekend. That said, that shouldn't take away from Kasia Nuidoma taking the win. I mean, that congrats to Nuidoma, who was a rider who. On this podcast many times before, we've when we break down races, we say something along the lines of, and then Cassia Doma attacked, and it was cool, but it didn't work. And that, like, I feel like that's like every week we talk about that. A little bit. Sometimes her attacks are cooler than, other, than others. I, I wish I could have seen to really know what yes. happened. Uh, I was looking at the results for another race we're going to talk about this week, and it was one of them said a reduced group sprint. One of them said an escape. <laughs> it was very confusing yeah um, so yeah it's it's always good to watch because people have different opinions about what is what and on that note i am still of the opinion that gravel racing may not be sufficiently serious uh for this podcast i agree that in general it's not which is why we didn't do a whole unbound episode that said kashinui <laughs> doma happens to be a talented road racer uh the same could be said for the guy that won the men's race so Mate Mahoric won the men's race. Uh, he soloed to victory. The, 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 actually, the main reason I wanted to mention this is because I wanted to at least give a shout-out to a handful of the uh, kind of gravel-focused riders. I have to say, I, I, don't, I don't think I said this on a podcast anywhere, but I certainly you know, said it to some people um, you know, at Escape when we were talking about covering the events and, and just the, the week ahead. I kind of expected Keegan Swenson to... I hope he doesn't listen to this pod because I don't want him to think that I was underestimating him, but I, I was. I mean, I really was. I did not think he was going to be able to be up there. You know, guys who are racing the Lifetime Grand Prix circuit versus Milan-San Remo slash, you know, Liege winners, Alejandro Valverde at this race. But he did. He, he was up there. You know, he obviously didn't win, but congrats to Keegan Swenson. All right, Sunday, Perry Tour. We saw, uh, again... Something that surprised me from an American. Everyone was surprised. I mean, when he, I don't even really know that you can correctly say uh, that that he attacked that that, that, she, that Riley Sheehan attacked so much as he got away in a in a, a section of the race where things were kind of up in the air. No one was really looking for a big attack, and he got a couple of guys with him who were all 
pretty committed and the group was not, you know, it wasn't the last 3K. No one was like, oh crap, we got to catch this. And yeah, it turned out they had a pretty good mix in the group. Uh, for some reason, FDJ sent Olivier Legac across when they already had Louis Askey there, uh, Louis Askey there. And uh, Legac attacked and didn't get away. <laughs> and yeah, Askey was real tired because he'd been in the break, an earlier breakaway. Uh, they tried to sprint for him and... Uh, Sheehan, you know, pulled it out the end. It was close. It looked like he had gone just a split, like 20 meters too early, but held him off. And yeah, it was cool. I don't think anybody expected it. Love to watch it, though. A uh, rider who was racing for the Denver Disruptors most of the year. He's a stagiaire with Israel Premier Tech at this race. He, he won Perry Tour as a stagiaire, which is kind of nutty. I mean, yes, it's not a World Tour race. So there are, a, the, I think the caliber of riders at Perry Tour is maybe slightly less than it would be if it were a World Tour race. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but well, still. You, you know, I would I would counter that by saying that the, the Saint-Michel Mavic team is super extra motivated to get a true. good result here. And they did get a pretty good result. Yeah, they got fourth. Uh, yep. and, it's, they, and they got fourth and they got like a buttload of camera time. And the guy, you know, rode his legs off. I don't know. It's. I, I think of all the dot pros, this might be the most prestigious. Because I, this... I agree with that. It is the number one non-world tour race. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, anyway, Riley Sheehan, congrats. Yeah. Winning a big race when you're a stagiaire, uh, 23 years old, lives and trains here in Boulder. So the let's talk about NCL I think that's a whole podcast. <laughs> it's uh, and a half. It's a multi-part investigative series. Well, not yeah. investigative, but should be long-form narrative. There we there go. There could be yeah. investigative aspects. Uh, all right. In any case, congrats, Riley Sheehan, and looking forward to seeing what you do next. Still so young. I mean, Louis Askey still had a great day for Groupama. Also very young, twenty-two-year-old Brit. And then Tobias Holland Johannesson has had a really nice year as well. Uh, was very active at the Tour de France. 24 years old. So nice showcase of the young riders at Perry Tour. Cosmo, what were you doing this weekend? Tell us all about it. I don't know. What were the interesting takeaways from this whole riding around Oof. on flat bar bikes thing? Yeah, it was really fun. Um, it's a lot. It was long days. <laughs> I, was, I guess I made them longer than they needed to be. But yeah, I was up at the, uh, the World Cup at Mont St. Anne, the last one of the season, uh, mostly because I had bought a bunch of video rights to make videos because I could get in touch with a human and talk about that, which has not always been the case. Uh, part of that was that I could get accreditation, and so I got accreditation and went and filmed some parts of the race that I knew, based on the camera setup, weren't on weren't going to make the broadcast coverage, or at least the angle I wanted wasn't going to make the broadcast coverage, uh, and tried to film from there. And that was much easier to do in the short track event, which was a super fast short loop, than it was in the XCO, which was just brutal it actually looked really fun to ride hard but fun to ride in the dry and the wet that they had the race in it was it was borderline unrideable i'm amazed that the tom pitcock and matthias flukiger were able to ride the set as much as they could ride and i mean there were the there were you know grizzled french canadians like trying to dig the mud off dig rideable dirt out from under the mud like every time there was a gap in riders and sometimes when there wasn't a gap in riders, there was a guy with a leaf blower trying to dry off the rocks so that people could reasonably expect to have traction. 
It was the most brutal, brutal imaginable conditions on a brutal course. Um, a lot of suffering. And I mean, the start list was huge because there are two World Cup stops in North America. So everybody who could was out there. Uh, saw a lot of people running. Uh, and, you know, knowing that these people would smash me in any competitive bike racing event really kind of drives home how hard this course is and how high the level is. Uh, and you see it, you know, Sam, Sam Gaze, Tom Pidcock, like mountain biking and road biking are both like the level in both is really high right now. Um, yeah. So yeah. Pidcock took his first win of the rainbows. Yeah. And he was excited about it. He had, it was his, it was kind of his, his goal. Wasn't it kind of like puncture city there towards they, the end? Well, yeah, Matthias, Matthias Flukiger, there were definitely, if you rode this course as hard as you possibly could on tires right. that were going to get you traction going up the hill, you were going to flat on the way down. Like you really had to be focused and dial it back and f- Flukiger was very willing to take risks. I think because even after the race, Pidcock said he wanted to descend behind Matthias because he was taking, it was just easier for Pidcock. He didn't have to think that hard about the lines. I think very much a, you know, in terms of technology, we should be roughly equivalent. If your bike can do it, my bike can do it too. Um, Yeah. Uh, And, you know, it took, I think he just rolled the dice too many times and, and, and flatted. And they're just, he recovered from one flat really well, but you can't, even with the fast changes he was getting, you can't against Pidcock on a course that brutal. Like you can't have that many things go wrong. Uh, I guess unless you're Luana Lacompte, right? Because like she had a crash and some and some mechanical stuff too, right? It's true. That's a good point. She had she had some time though, right? Yeah, she won. Uh, well, she's won by 15 seconds, but she had. I mean, she's spent a while dealing with <laughs> stuff, various things, crash, mechanical, whatever. You know that. Yeah. Yep. I mean. I was to say, honestly, the course side viewing is, and I mentioned like, this is also with the, the, th- the stuff I said about filming where the cameras aren't like, it's also really hard to kind of know what's going on in the XCO race watching in the woods. Right. Cause you see it was after, you know, two laps, it was three riders, you know, maybe London F was going to get back into it. Um, and you know, they'd go by in a certain order with a certain time gap between them. And then that'd be all you really knew. I, I suppose yeah. I could have gotten on a walkie talkie or figured it out maybe streamed it to my phone, but the phone is also my camera. Uh, so, uh, I didn't want to do too much at once on that tiny little screen in the rain. Um, but you, you, it's, it's very like, that was kind of the hardest part was like, I do this really long day, be out in the course, running around in the mud, trying to get shots, trying not to have riders crash into me or crash because of me. Um, and then I'd go back to the, to the media room, try to download the race and then go watch the race that right, I had just yeah. recorded. And so, yeah, that's, it's very, it's cool because I think there's a lot of stuff you don't get from watching that you get at the venue. Like there's, you look, you watch the broadcast and you're like, okay, they went up a hill and then they had a really scary downhill. It's like, no, they, they went up a hill for like 15 minutes. There was a very early kind of technical hurdle not literally, but like a technical feature that you could probably clean if you went super duper hard. But then there was an unrelenting climb and they did get pictures of this like kind of switchback climb. It really doesn't do justice to how steep it is. Then they went up through kind of another, there's a little flat portion where maybe you could recover. And then they went basically straight up like a blue ski run and that sort of sloped to the left across peanut butter mud. Like the, the, there was, it really drives home like how 
like the Pidcock and Flukiger did not start slowly. They started in a way that was sustainable to be at the front of the race by the end of the race. Um, yeah, it it's just it's you cannot go too hard too early on that course, or kind of your day is over. And I th- poor Christopher Blevins, I think, got pretty excited uh, early in the early section of that race and suffered his way through to the end, well well down from where he started. Yeah. All right. Lastly, let's talk about what's coming up because there is still World Tour racing on the calendar. It's a long season. And believe it or not, Escape Collective has a reporter. Woo! At the tour of Guangxi coming up this week. Johnny Who's Long there? is going to be nice. covering the tour. He'll be in China. Uh, we might try to get him, try to get some audio from him. Uh, tell us what, what's all about over there. So the men this week have the tour of Guangxi, which is a stage race for the men. On the women's side, you have the tour of Chongming Island which is a stage race in Chongming. And then their Guangxi Tour is just a one-day event. Uh, so they have they have a women's Guangxi event, uh, but it is a one-day race. So the women are mostly, they're going to spend most of the week racing in Chongming. By the way, yes, Chongming is in China. Not close to Guangxi. If you, if you don't know your Chinese geography... You might assume, oh, great, they get to go to China and they squeeze in two World Tour Women's races, you know, in a short span of time, which is true. Uh, but these two places, Chongming and Guangxi, are about as far apart as Barcelona and Budapest, uh, which is not close. So it's a long journey if you're trying to do both. Uh, but yeah, so on both the men's and the women's side, there's still some World Tour racing to look forward to. Escape has Johnny over at Tour of Guangxi. Hopefully, we'll get to see some interesting action. The start lists are well. It's a World Tour race, so I, I kind of wish more, more, um, more inter not not more countries or regions that were not historically associated with cycling would do the would do the Quebec thing. I think that's a really yes good and sustainable and like not pain in the butt model. One day races in the city, everybody can see it. It's easy to get from race A to race B. Um, absolutely yeah, agree. I, yeah. The, the fact, I mean, in, in Quebec and Montreal, both those races, you can see them go by at least a dozen times. So that's a, it's a good bang for your buck. I mean, it's free, but it's good. Uh, in terms of time, <laughs> you go stand by the race and you get to watch them go by a bunch and they're right in town, big population centers. So yeah, completely agree. Um, anyway, tour Guangxi coming up. That's the last world tour race. And we'll talk about it because we are pretty serious about bike racing. That's what they say. Serious. Uh, and that's it for us. Hope you enjoyed. We'll see you when we see you. And in the meantime, you'll be able to listen to Wheel Talk and Placeholders and Geek Warning. Go check out Ronan's new podcast, The Performance Process. Cosmo, great talking to you. Thanks for stopping in the middle of your journey back from Canada to make this happen. This is a pretty spot to stop. I should probably come up here more often. But Yeah, where are, where are you right now? I am in Franconia Notch, uh, Flume Gorge, I think is the name of this particular, it's the big rest stop info area. It's, yeah, it's just a really pretty time to be up here. I actually like it a little bit later. I like it when the leaves are gone and up on the top, tippy top of the mountains, the Alpine Zone, it's winter and there's Mm. some wind-packed snow um, and down here it's still kind of, you know, 45, 50 late fall, but I like it here too, you know, pretty much any time of year. So, yeah, 
I realize I'm looking around as I say this and speaking away from the mic, so I apologize for any fading. You're adding uh, color to the story, so that's important. All right. I hope you enjoyed. We'll see you when we see you. Bye.